Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. Uh, you know, the, the book of, of Ruth opens up uh, with, with three funerals. Uh, Elimelech uh, and his wife, Naomi, with their two sons, Malon Chilion. They leave Bethlehem because there was a famine. They thought, well, we'll go over here in Moab and we'll, it'll, we'll be okay. They go there. Of course, the father dies. The two sons die. And there's two daughter-in-laws with their mother, Naomi. And it uh, starts out in that in, in Ruth 1 where there's three funerals. But we see the end of the book. It's uh, like any good love story, you know, a happy ending. It's not like one of those ones where you finish watching the movie and you're like, wait, what? Like, how did you end it like that? Like, and then you feel like you wasted your time. Like, that was two hours. I waste my time for that stupid ending. Uh, uh, but this here has a fantastic ending. And the ending to Ruth is, is fantastic. Closes with a wedding here. And in the first chapter, there's so much, uh, there's a lot of weeping and crying. But the last one, it's just full of joy that you have there. And uh, we know that in Psalms, it says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Uh, sorry. Oh, wrong slides. Oh, I got you. Can I, can I, I'm going to stop here because I'm going to. I'd rather have the slides up there. They have verses on there, so uh, just bear with me here. But yeah, you're going for next week. No, no previews here. No previews. All right, back to the awkward moment. Okay, uh, I'm weeping over these things now, right? Uh, Psalms 30 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. You know, uh, every story in life does not have a happy ending. This one does, and it's, it's fun to be able to tell that happy ending. And, you know, we know that the hardships they faced at the beginning, we know what happened at the end. And it's the same way with us. Sometimes you are going to face hardships in this life. We do know who wrote the last chapter. We know what Jesus is going to do in the end. And uh, we ought not be afraid of the future. But uh, back to my question, what would be a good legacy for you to leave behind? Anybody have a, a thought on this? Just something that you think would be good for you to leave behind? You're, you're dead, gone. What would be something that you're hoping that you leave behind besides money uh, for, your, for your kids or something? Oh, if you ha anybody hasn't, that's us, <laughs> right? Uh, any legacies in here? Nothing? Nada. Nathan. Appreciate that. At least. Okay, some spiritual heritage. All right. So, what be being, just can you expound more on that? I think I know where you're going, but I'd rather you just talk instead of just me. Okay. Okay. So he's looking for Christ followers. So his his spiritual legacy of his uh, children. Uh, he doesn't have me right now. Everybody, just to clarify. Okay. But that <laughs> spiritual legacy that we're looking for. Be Christ followers, all right? My wife. Okay. Uh, she wanted her kids to have a love for music, all right? They'll sing like their mom and not their dad, all right? Uh, anybody else? There's no judgment here. John? Smile, I guess. Okay, all right. You want a kids, your, 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 a legacy. This doesn't have to be just with kids. I think sometimes we, we think that. I think a legacy I'd want to leave behind maybe is that uh, someone knows that I am a Christ follower. Nathan mentioned that earlier, but... Uh, that I'm leaving them something, a good example to follow. Um, so th those are something that I'm looking for here. But if we look in Ruth chapter 4, uh, 
this chapter focuses on three people in this chapter, and it goes through each one for a tiny bit. Uh, it talks about the bridegroom, talks about the bride, and then it talks about uh, the baby there. Um, I'm just going to go through and talk about some of the meanings that they, each one of these have and, and what it means to this chapter as we sum up uh, the end of this book here. And uh, next week, as you saw, we're going to get into Esther. We're going through Ruth and Esther, uh, um, but a little bit different view of each one, but how they're uh, following after what God had for them, their, God's will. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, you're good to us. God, I pray you just uh, give me clarity, help, me, help my thoughts to be the right thoughts, and, and be clear with uh, what you've given to me in, in this chapter here. Um, God, I pray you just fill me with the Holy Spirit's power and wisdom. God, um, just let me say the correct things, and... and uh, give your word glory, and we love you so much in your name. Amen. Uh, you know, uh, look in chapter, uh, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, uh, Then went Boaz up to the gate, and sat him down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, oh, such uh, a one. So he's like, Hey, you, hey, I know who, I'm talking to you. Uh, turn aside and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now, just a reminder, uh, Ruth came back. She was a foreigner in the land. And because she had been married, the, the law that they had set up was if you were a relative and uh, you could redeem them, and there's a lot of things that you could redeem uh, besides the relationship with them, you could also redeem their property. And they wanted to keep the name, Elimelech was dead, the father was dead, the sons were dead. They wanted to keep his name, his heritage still strong uh, throughout the rest of life. And that family member could redeem them and they would keep Elimelech's name, uh, the generations keep going. And before... Boaz, this is the guy that's here, uh, Ruth's future husband, before he could do this, he had to talk to the other guy who was a closer relationship. He had first dibs, you would say. And so he says, I'm going to sit down at the gate because this is where they dealt with the business. And uh, the guy actually, of course, God's timing, he walks by as soon as he sat down. Hey, get over here. I got something to talk to you about. And uh, the law of the kinsman redeemer is given in, in Leviticus. And then uh, how they're supposed to do things is in Deuteronomy. But we won't get into those. But the purpose of these laws was to preserve the name of that person and their heritage, their legacy, and protect the property of these families. Uh, we know that God was over Israel, right? God, that's God's uh, favorite country, you would say, and that's his people. And he did not want that property to go out to the heathen. He wanted to keep it within the nation of Israel. And so he had these laws set up. And um, during this time, a lot of the Jewish leaders, they didn't obey this law, and the prophets would go to that. If you look in First uh, Kings and in Isaiah and in Habakkuk, Habakkuk, they both were all preaching. You're giving up the land to the wicked people. And the prophets, God used them to preach. And uh, because they did this, that was one of the causes of their captivity in Second Chronicles. But either way, the kinsman redeemer. So we say, what is this for and, and why does he have it? The, the word redeems means to set free by paying a price. You know, in the case of Ruth and Naomi, uh, Elimelech's property had either been sold, she was poor, she was, again, they were gleaning, or is put under some kind of mortgage. And uh, the rights to that property passed to Ruth's husband, Malon, uh, when Elimelech died. But then, uh, so Ruth did not have the money to pay back this mortgage. She did not have it, so she needed a redeemer. You know, when it comes to our spiritual redemption, we're in bondage. We have a price that we owe. We can't pay that price, the price of sin. We cannot pay for that. And thankfully, Jesus Christ gave himself a ransom for sinners, and uh, we can be set free, you know. Uh, if you look through, uh, I, I, so 
redeemers. Uh, it means to set free by paying a price. And the redeemer, not everybody could perform this. You know, just because Ruth was single, and that was one of the things Boaz says, I thought you were going to go with, uh, with the younger ones. Boaz was older than Ruth. He was not, they were not the same age. And he said, I thought you were going to go for the younger guy. I thought you were going to go for the, he also, he said something about being the rich guys. They're going to go with the other guy. Not everybody could be that redeemer. Uh, and not everybody could perform that duty. They had to either be a near kinsman. And this was the first obstacle that Boaz had to overcome. Uh, there was someone who was closer. And, you know, uh, when, when I see this picture, you know, we know, I, at least for me, I grew up in church. Not everybody in this room did, but I grew up in church. I knew the story of Ruth. We, we've heard it. We've heard it taught. But knowing the story is one thing, but understanding it's a picture of Christ is a whole other thing. When we see this as a picture of Christ, it reminds you that uh, he had to become related to us before he could redeem us. And he had to be that near kinsman. And that's why he became flesh for us. Understanding what he has done to have that relationship that he had with us. Ruth was a, a Moabite. She was not allowed to be in this, but because of that relationship, and it's the same way with us, Christ became flesh and blood so he could die for us on the cross. You know, when he was born into this world as human flesh, he became our near kinsman. And of course, he will remain our kinsman for all eternity. And, and that's a picture of God's, his love that is matchless. Knowing what he did for us, and uh, you, you, ought to have, you had to be related. In order to qualify, you also had to be able to pay that price. You know, there was other people, that's this other uh, near kinsman, the one he said, hey, come sit down and we'll talk for a little bit. Hey, there's this girl, Ruth. She came back. She's, uh, she needs to be redeemed. I'm wondering if you can do that. You have rights to her. I can't fight you on this. And it's something he didn't, I don't think he was, uh, I think he was coined his uh, negotiations. It wasn't like, hey, I, I want to redeem her uh, more than you. Uh, but he, what he does, he just set it up. Here's what you can happen. And you, the kinsman redeemer had to be able to pay the, that price. You know, Ruth and Naomi, they were too poor to redeem themselves, but Boaz had all the resources necessary to set them free. And when it comes to redemption of sinners, nobody, there's not a single person on this earth or in this universe that, can, that is rich enough to pay the price of our sin, except for Jesus Christ. Knowing that he has all the resources, we have redemption through Christ's blood, because he gave himself for us, he purchased our eternal redemption for us in Hebrews 9. Uh, the, knowing that he's able to redeem us is the thing, that he can do that. And he's the only one who can. It's not our religion. It's not our trying. It's not our doing. But it's only what he has done. The third qualification of that kinsman redeemer, would they, had, they had to be willing to redeem that person. You know, Boaz, Ruth came and laid at his feet and she submitted himself, herself to him. But Boaz had to choose to be willing to redeem her. She, I, I'm sure, I don't know if this has ever happened to, to Boaz, but this has happened in the past where they came and offered themselves to be redeemed to that relative. But they said, no, sorry, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I'm not willing to do it. I may have the money to do it, but I don't want to do it. Here, uh, we see in this chapter uh, that Neerkins was not willing to, but Boaz was. Boaz was free to purchase the property, the wife, and uh, he, this was a mail order bride. I don't know if it was that. Anyways, but this near kinsman, nobody else thinks that when they're reading this stuff. All right. uh, the near kinsman had the money, but not the motivation. This other guy that he said, hey, come sit down. I, I, this is what happens. He was not motivated. He had some things, and we'll get into. He was afraid that he would jeopardize his own inheritance, his family's inheritance. And um, if 
you look down in uh, verse number two again, and he says, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And they sat down. So boy says, all right, we need to get the council around. This is how they did their, uh, this is how they would make contracts. They'd have witnesses because said, all right, this is what we laid out for our contract. And I got 10 witnesses that's going to make this happen. And no one can go back on it. You can't say uh, they changed their mind. But the city gate was the official court. They would wear all this judicial business would take place in presence of these elders. When Boaz gets there, he gets 10 men. He, he witnessed this. And their kinsman walks by. And again, God's providence here. This is another picture of that. Boaz calls out to him. Hey, come sit down. Everything's ready for this transaction. That would uh, This transaction would lead to the son of Jesus Christ being born through this transaction, which is amazing. But the key theme to this chapter is redemption, to redeem, to buy, to purchase. If you look through this chapter, there's 22 verses in this chapter. There's 16 times in this chapter it's talking about redeeming, buying. And there can be no redemption without the paying of a price. And, you know, when we think of salvation, you know, again, it gets old to us sometimes, which is a bad thing. But from our point of view, salvation is, it's free, right? It's free to anybody who takes it. From our point of view, that's how we view it. And it is a great view because salvation is free. But that free gift does not come without a price. And, you know, my kids, they don't completely understand it. The, my older ones do a little bit. They're uh, as in the givings of gifts because they now buy, they, they love to buy gifts. That's one of their, uh, I say it's their love language. They would, if they go somewhere, they want to give somebody a gift. It may be some random toy that they're, they have in their, in their room or going, they, you know, they love to go to the dollar store and buy a candy or a cheap ghetto knockoff Chinese piece of junk that breaks after literally one try, but they love buying them. You know, they love to give, they understand it now that there is a price to that gift. You know, salvation for in our view is free to whosoever, but from God's point of view, redemption was a very costly thing. You know, the other kinsmen that had the option uh, was willing to buy the land. Oh, I'll buy the land. But then he heard, then he found out that it was Ruth that was also involved in this transaction. And then he sort of backed out. His explanation was that in marrying Ruth, he would jeopardize his own inheritance. If he had a son by Ruth, and that son was the only son that was survived, he would get Malon's property, and he would get part of that guy's property too. He's like, I don't know if I can jeopardize that. I don't th that cost is too much to me. And uh, especially the fact that Ruth was a Moabite is also had a problem uh, because she was a foreigner, and that really wasn't... Uh, I don't know what the term we use, kosher. I don't know what the term we use, but it wasn't okay, acceptable. But Boaz, you know, uh, I'm sure Boaz was relieved and he said, all right, I'm going to back out. And Boaz said, yes, you know, uh, this, this is going to work. It's gonna, everything's going to come into place. And this guy that could have done it, he was all worried so much about himself, about his, protecting his name. He was worried about protecting his inheritance. But we don't even know what this guy's name is. Because he, his, he was protecting his name and his inheritance, and his name is not even mentioned in here. You know, I'm thinking that I have a God who was not worried about what people thought he was going to do when he went to the cross. He wasn't worried about the view of someone else when he went to sacrifice himself. And Boaz took the risk of love and obedience. Of course, we know his name, and, uh, and we know all the honor that he has on there. And of course, uh, if you look down in verse number uh, 7, because this is some weird, weird stuff that they have in here. It says, now this was the manner in former time of Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. 
For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. This was a testimony in Israel. So weird little tradition they would do. They'd like, all right, they finalize the deal and they'd take off the shoe and hand it to them. And it was like a, they would trade taking shoes off. Uh, there's some things that this ties into with, uh, there was, when somebody took possession of something, this was God's commandment. Remember, he took, said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. This is something that God gave possession for possession. And that was some of the things that they tied into. Uh, but having that, the shoe and then the witnesses, knowing that this could, nothing could come back from this. Uh, they couldn't come back off of this deal that happened. And uh, taking off that shoe uh, saw that they, it was complete. It symbolized the kinsman's giving up of his right to possess the land. Mm-hmm. And Boaz now had the land. He, of course, he had Ruth also. And this picture of Christ, our kinsman redeemer, uh, is like none other. You know, Jesus wasn't concerned about jeopardizing his inheritance. Instead, Jesus made us part of his inheritance. And that's crazy. Uh, and, you know, Jesus, of course, took these private plans that he took and made them public to the world by his cross. What he did with, uh, with Boaz and Ruth in private, they made it public. Uh, so we see what the bridegroom had done. Look at verse number 11. I'm getting some, some good stuff here. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. Or we, we saw what happened. The Lord make the woman uh, that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which two did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh's, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. And, you know, uh, I, I see the next one is talking about the bride here. It, you know, it's a wonderful thing when uh, this community, they, they rejoice for this bride and groom. All right, man, they were so happy that... I love weddings. Uh, weddings are a fun thing to go to. Uh, your girls, you, they were down at a wedding in San Diego last week. And just the joy that's there of seeing a, a new family uh, being created. And the joy. And they were so excited. People were excited for this new bride and groom. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been to some weddings where you weren't quite joyful. You thought maybe this is not the right decision being made. Or uh, you sort of felt like grieving instead of rejoicing. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. Uh, and usually it works out, not all the time, but, uh, you know, this is something that they were happy to see come to place. And uh, this, this sacred union that was happening was between God, of course, and then God's people. And uh, they got the blessing of God. They got the blessing of God's people. The people then prayed over Ruth. We want you uh, to be fruitful. She said, I want you to be like Rachel and Leah. They did build the house of Israel. And uh, this was... For them, you know, for them in Israel, children were a, considered a blessing. It's not a burden. Uh, you know, and that's not the attitude we have in today's society. Today is like, you know, we'll have kids, but maybe we might have one. If we're pushing it, we'll have two. You know, we got to fill up that civic, you know, two, or they get these suburbans for two kids. Like, wait, what? Okay. Uh, they're the ones saying that they want a full tank of gas. But, uh, you know, Children in today's society are not that. It's, it's considered a burden, not a blessing. Uh, we think of today, just look up these stats, and it, uh, it hurts me to think of these things, but over 800,000 children this last year were legally destroyed in the womb. And to think of that, to think of what abortion has done to our society, you know, to them, these people, children were a blessing. They were so excited, they were, and they were praying. We want Ruth... Uh, to be blessed. We want her to be fruitful. And they didn't know everything that would come through this lineage, but, uh, you know, I was, uh, it's important to them that the Jewish wives would bear children to preserve the nation. They had that reason, but 
they knew that through Israel would come the Messiah. So they're like, it might be through you. That was all of their thoughts, I'm assuming, if they were religious. Maybe through your family's line, the Messiah is going to come. They knew it was going to come through the nation of Israel. And they were excited for her. And they used some words in here that, uh, you know, the Jews despised. Uh, they despised abortion. There was, uh, these were practices that were in other nations that were the wicked. In Moab, this was a practice that the Moabites did. So for them to say, we were excited for you, there's some tie in there too. I know you're from Moab and they do some wicked things with children, but we want you to be fruitful. We want you to have a, a great family. And they're praying over her. And, uh, you know, they talk about you be like Leah and Rachel, where they, between the two, they bore eight sons. They would build the nation uh, with the, the tribes of Israel through them. Um, but if you look in verse number, uh, at the end of verse 10, 11, I was reading this and it rang true in some ways, but it, it says the use, of the, the word Ephrata there. Uh, is in Ruth uh, verse 11 is very sig significant. This word means fruitful. And I, I thought, I'm like, I was trying to remember where I'd heard that. But in Micah 5.2, it talks about this. But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, where thou would be little among the nation of Israel, and of course would come the Messiah through that, uh, through that town. And this was one of the starts of that. And, uh, you know, there were some wonderful changes that came into Ruth's life because she trusted Boaz. Remember, we ended last chapter with her waiting on what Boaz was going to do. Sometimes us waiting on God is not easy to do, but man, the uh, literally eternal blessings that she had for waiting. She went from loneliness to love. She went from toil to rest. She went from poverty to wealth, from worry to assurance, from despair to hope. She was no longer Ruth the Moabitess. The past was gone in her life. She was becoming at this new beginning. And uh, she was now Ruth the wife of Boaz. This was a name she was proud to bear. She didn't hide that she was a Moabite. She was proud. I'm the, I'm the wife of Boaz. And, uh, you know, that's a picture of us as the bride of Christ where we have this new beginning. It's a changed life. Um, look at verse number 13. It says, uh, one last uh, picture here is this, this a picture of the baby. Uh, it says, so Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception. She bare a son. Uh, the woman said unto Naomi, blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Verse 15, And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nurture of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And here they're talking to Naomi. This is, uh, Ruth becomes pregnant, but here they're talking to Naomi about uh, what this child is going to be. And here she's, this child is going to be the one that's a restorer of thy life and a nurture of thine old age. You know, God had been very gracious to Ruth back in Moab by giving her the faith to trust him. Uh, I believe that Ruth was saved in, in when she was in Moab with the, the uh, with Elimelech's and Naomi's faith. And she uh, knew the God of Israel. And, you know, as she moved back to Bethlehem, God's grace was still on her. As God guided her to the field of Boaz, his grace was on her. When Boaz fell in love with her, God's grace was on her. God's grace continued at this uh, town gate where the kinsman redeemer rejected Ruth and Boaz purchased her. God's grace continued after the marriage where uh, Ruth and Boaz uh, conceived a child and then safe delivery of that son. If you look down in verse number uh, 16, and Naomi took the child and laid in her bosom, became nurse unto it. And the woman and her neighbors gave it a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi and they call his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. And this would come later on, uh, we'll get into. But, you know, uh, here 
this was just a crazy thing. They say that this is a born of Naomi. It's, it's your grandma. Uh, but they would become, uh, that son, his name would be Obed. And God would use this baby as a source of blessing to so many people. And I, I got a few things we'll go through just to finish out this lesson. But the, this blessing that Obed was, of course, that child was a blessing to Ruth and Boaz. Uh, this is no ordinary baby. This is a special gift to them. And, and this was a blessing that Obed was to their home. You know, we, we think in my life, and I know every baby is a special gift from God. We know that they are from God. You know, uh, God has greatly blessed us with four children. Not all have uh, the ability or capability to have four children in their home. But the fact that we were to have four and the blessings that God has given us to them, uh, it is a gift from God. God has given us to them, uh, or uh, uh, them to us, excuse me. But every, you know, every baby deserves a loving home, caring parents, the parents who want to raise that child uh, in the nurture and admission of the Lord to be Christ followers, as Nathan said earlier. But what a privilege it is to bring new life into this world and then guide that life, to see it mature and to see uh, the change that they have. Go through their weird, goofy stage to now just acting goofy. Now they look goofy. Uh, I'm like, they haven't grown into their adult teeth yet. I'm like, those things are, you look weird, man. Uh, sorry, kids, if they listen to this in the future. All right, but uh, they... That's a gift that we get from God. And, you know, uh, to mature them and, and to have give them a desire for God, uh, to see them want to be able to read their Bible, to see them want Bradley, because he's just learned how to uh, fin finish kindergarten. He's learning how to, learned how to read. I mean, he just loves, he found, he's got one of those double-sided, the tracks are in the back table that are like the, they have a little cartoon on them, like fire and some other stuff. But he's reading those constantly. And he, he wants to tell every neighborhood kid that. To see a, your child do that is something, that's, that's an incredible blessing that you can't get somewhere else except uh, by pointing them to God. But Obed was a blessing to, to his parents, uh, Boaz and Ruth. Uh, we see that Obed was also a blessing to Naomi. His grandmother really informally adopted him as her own son, became his foster mom. A little weird, but that's a whole other story. The, the woman of Bethlehem, they shared Naomi's joy. They, they said, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. And here they're talking about, this is Obed that they're talking about. They're not talking about Boaz, they're talking about Obed. Obed to, to her was a restorer of life. Naomi went from that Mara, that bitterness, to the joy. And Naomi, you're so happy. And uh, if you've not seen uh, a grandmother with her grandchild, you can understand the difference in that joy. And they get young again when the uh, at least young, as in they just do crazy stuff. My dad's crazy with with my with my children, the grand, his grandkids, uh, and they get young again because the grandchildren come to visit, and uh, you know they they start investing in that younger generation again. And like dad, my dad goes and puts this above ground pool in the backyard. I mean, he put all his work in. Now he did recruit us to do that work, but uh, you know when uh, when you're holding that child, you're holding the future generation, and to literally the future of your country, your nation. And Obed would be a blessing to Naomi in another way. He would, Naomi eventually would be cared for by Obed. Obed would be the one who would care for her. Uh, he would want to care for the family that brought him into the world, including his grandmother, Naomi. You know, Boaz had redeemed the family inheritance. Now Obed would continue the family line. He would protect the inheritance. He would uh, protect his, eventually, he would live up to his name and be a servant to Naomi. Um, and, he would learn to love Naomi just like Naomi had, uh, or Ruth had loved uh, his grandmother. 
And um, oh, so he's a blessing to Naomi. He was a blessing to Bethlehem. And the child would bring fame to the family name, fame to Bethlehem. He, they would know Obed from Bethlehem. Because Obed, if you look in, uh, look in verse number uh, 12 again. Uh, no, sorry, not 12. I'm in the wrong spot here. Uh, 17. Uh, the woman and her neighbors gave it a name saying, uh, there is a son named, named, born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Uh, they know that uh, before this, Elimelech, his grandfather's name pretty much disappeared. No one knew that name anymore. He was dead. He was gone. Uh, but Obed would make that name famous again and bring glory to Bethlehem. And of course, this came through the life of David, uh, King David that would come through this lineage. And uh, we know, of course, David's greater son later on, of course, with Jesus Christ through that lineage. Uh, but Naomi would have the comfort of knowing that the family name would not perish, but increase in fame. And Obed would bring that blessing to Bethlehem. He would bring it to the country of Israel. Obed was the grandfather of the King David. Uh, Israel's probably, you could say, one of Israel's greatest ruler. Between him and Solomon would be hard, but one of those two. Uh, I guess you could throw Josiah in there too because he brought God back, but we won't get too deep on that. But uh, this is not a... Uh, What's that claymation fighting? Uh, it's not a, what's that called? That's going to be in my mind now. Either way, when the name of David is mentioned, we usually think of Goliath. Sometimes we think of Bathsheba. Uh, David, of course, we know he created, committed a great sin, but he was also known as a man of faith. God used him to build the kingdom, and uh, he led the nation in some great ways. But this came through Obed, and he was a blessing to them. Um, the last thing that Obed would do is Obed would bring a blessing to the whole world. You know, the greatest thing God did for David was not to give him victory over his enemies or wealth for building, helping build the temple. The greatest privilege God gave to him was that he was the ancestor of the Messiah, knowing that the Messiah would come through his lineage. And uh, David wanted to build a house for God. That was, that was his thing, man. I want to build this temple. And God said, no, you're sort of messed up. Uh, you, you can't build this temple. And, uh, but David knew that uh, God did still allow him to have the Messiah come through this uh, this tribe of Judah, and um, God chose David's family. You know, little did those Bethlehemites know that God had great plans for this little boy, for Obed. Obed would have that son, Jesse. Jesse would have eight sons. The youngest was David. And, uh, you know, we think so many times that we, I don't, I, I love holding children, and I might have baby fever every time I see one. I'm like, another kid? All right, we're, we're done, okay? But every time that you see a child, you don't know what the future of that child is. You know, uh, again, this is my last year teaching, but I, I feel like, and I, I could be wrong, someone could correct me later, but never wanted to say to one of my students in my classroom that you couldn't do this. Now, there are things I say you can't do, like you can't be an idiot in my classroom, but as in your future. You know, some days I'm going to be an NBA star, like, okay, sure, okay. I don't want to like, but the, no, they say there's this goal that I have made in life. Because I don't know what their future can be. And I never want to cut someone off from their future. Uh, I think that we've all made dumb mistakes when we were younger. And I don't think we all want to be judged by those dumb, same dumb mistakes. Say, well, they could never do this. And, you know, when we, you see a child, when you see a baby, you don't know what their future or what they could be. You know, as they say, you're, you could be holding the next president sometime. And who knows? Uh, that'd be crazy if there was Abby. All right, I would say no. But, uh, you know, you don't know what the future of that child is. But... God has a plan for each of those individuals' future. And Obed would be this blessing to the world because through his lineage would come the Messiah. Uh, you know, the Moabites, this is one last thought. I, I just thought it was real neat. 
I'm, I'm going to read these verses, and it's, it'll seem weird that I'm reading these, but if you look in verse 18, because these are generations. Sometimes when we go through genealogies and we see, like, there's all these nations, why are we reading these generations? But it, it's weird that they end the chapter in verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Pharaohs. They tell them they should be like Pharaohs, which uh, this, was the, this was the son of Tamar, which she came through some very wicked, perverse things. But it says, now, these are the generations of Pharaohs. Pharaohs begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz. Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Think, why was there this tie-in to these genealogies at the end of this book? But if you go through and count there, that is ten genealogies, or ten uh, generations, excuse me, ten genealogies. We read this at the beginning in chapter 1. The Moabites were not to enter the congregation of the Lord, it says even to the tenth generation. I think the craziness that it has a tie-in to ten generations at the end of this book as something that God wants. Close with that. That tells us to never underestimate the power of the grace of God. We see that the grace of God is what brought Ruth back, this Moabite foreigner, to then, through her uh, lineage, bring the Messiah. And Ruth beautifully illustrates God's work of salvation. Uh, Ruth, an outsider, a stranger, ends up with Ruth, a member of this community, uh, the one who married Boaz, who uh, would eventually have the Messiah come. And I love the fact that uh, this illustrates our relationship uh, with, with God. You know, we start as a foreigner with God. We get introduced to him. We know him. He knows us. He gives us blessings, and we see what Boaz pours out over. And we have that eternal uh, life that we spend with him, uh, just like Ruth and Boaz, that relationship that was grown. And, uh, you know, it was Ruth's commitment that made the difference in her life and in the life of people that she loved. We said, your God will be my God. And might we have that same way? Might we put ourselves at the feet of Jesus, make him be our God? And uh, God will, uh, you never know what he, he'll do if you allow him to work in your life. But uh, let me close with any prayer requests. Any, any uh, prayer?